Today on Ag News Daily. Mike and Delaney, today you're both in the hot seat. How's it feel? Feels a little scary, a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> I like it. I think it's fun. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is August 7th, I think, already, which is crazy. My name is Mike Pearson, one of the co-hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, good to have you back. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be back. And, of course, we have Hannah Pagel. And, Hannah, good to talk to you again. It's good to be back, Mike. Fantastic. Well, we've got some updates this day, this Tuesday, this Tech Tuesday. So we're going to be talking about some of the technology that Ag News Daily is looking at here as we go into the future. We also have an update from our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, which we'll hear from in just a little bit. But Hannah, to kick us off today, what's jumping out at you for headlines here in the world of Ag News? So the latest Farm Journal Pulse survey shows less than 50% of farmers are going to sign up for the USDA's $12 billion tariff aid package, given the information that they have today. So last week, a little over a 1,000 farmers who participated in the, fall, in the Farm Journal Pulse survey were asked if they They were asked if they planned to sign up or not, and only 46% of the farmers surveyed said that they planned to sign up for tariff aid. Another 6% said that they do not plan to participate in the program, and another 48% said that they will need more information to decide. So, you know, according to this article and our conversation that we had a couple weeks ago with Bill Northey, uh, the funds will be paid out through three different programs administered by the USDA underneath the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act. Uh, the programs include a market facilitation program, which would result in farmer payments, a food purchase and distribution program, which would also purchase surplus of um, goods going to the nutrition programs. And then the last program is a trade promotion program to provide private sector assistance to new markets. So, Mike Delaney, I just wanted to get your thoughts. If you've heard from any farmers, you know, what are they thinking? Are they going to sign up? Are they not? Have you heard anything? You know, the folks I've talked to definitely fall into that third category, the the waiting to see. I think everybody would like the money. I mean, heck, free money is free money. But, of course, people want to see what kind of strings are attached, what information do I need to provide, and how big of a hassle is it going to be mm-hmm. is, is what I think folks are waiting for. Delaney, what have you heard? Yeah, I think the same thing. And a lot of people, especially on Facebook and Twitter, have just said, this is great, blah, 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 but in the end, we really just want free trade or we want trade agreements with countries. We don't care about the payments. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody would rather just see the markets rise back up, you know, get back to $10 beans. But without it, you know, I'm sure a lot of their lenders would like to see them go ahead and get a check. Right. So I guess my question then is, is it just going to be free money? Like if I, you know, they have the these aid packages, I can go and take it? Or am I going to get like taxed on that or... Yeah, it would be taxed. It would be considered just as its income, just like selling crops would be. Um, I, I see we're still kind of waiting. I, as Secretary Undersecretary Northey said last week, you know, we'll know more on or about September 1st. So I guess we'll just kind of have to keep waiting for the USDA to drop more information about the programs. Other than that, I, you know, I don't want to speculate too much. Okay. Right. Well, Delaney, is there any news jumping out at you today? 
There is some good news. As we're talking oh. about trade, we've got a new marketing opening up. Not going to be a huge market to start with, but some potential growth. The Trump administration announced today that they have made progress and Morocco has agreed to open its market to U.S. poultry for the first time ever. Um, oh. They're expected to import about $10 million worth of U.S. poultry with additional growth over time. I think that's $10 million maybe the first year. It doesn't say specifically a timeline there. Um, so this is not going to be a huge market for U.S. poultry. But exports there to Morocco totaled about $4.3 billion last year. And they're expecting the market to grow. And it would represent a significant expansion overall. Um, because in 2016, they imported about $22 million worth of U.S. food and beverages. All right. Well, we're finding more places that like the American McNugget, which yeah. I think is fantastic. <laughs> Well, I thought this was interesting, too, because as we look at kind of this year in review, I mean, I know we're not we're only, you know, seven, wait, eight months now into the year. Um, But we have seen this year some some big numbers when we look at U.S. exports, specifically in beef and poultry and pork. The USDA released some numbers uh, compiled by the U.S. Meat Export Federation that showed U.S. beef shipments were up for the first time. Um, in 2018, or were up through the first of 2018, excuse me, by 9%, and 9% by volume and 21% by value to top $4 billion. And that's the first time that we've exceeded $4 billion before August until this year. Oh, wow. So we've still got four months of the year to go, and we're already mm-hmm. setting records. Yeah, however, now that we've got all this trade stuff going on, I don't know if we'll continue to be above you know, be above record pace, but. Well, I'll tell you, I was working, I'm giving a presentation next week, so I was going through and trying to update all my slides and mm-hmm. make sure my information was, uh, you know, correct. Right. And so far, the bulk of our trade spats, other than Mexico, haven't dealt a whole lot with large-scale beef importers. The largest importer by value is Japan, followed very closely by South Korea, and then Mexico jumps in there. So as long as those two countries continue to keep buying beef, we should be in pretty good shape. Yes. Well, I've got some news here for some of our listeners. Delaney, I know you are a Ford driver. Mm-hmm. Well, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has said that Ford is going to be issuing a recall. Um, there have been reports, five different reports, of fires during crashes of some F-150 Super Crew pickups. Um, and this is related to basically the seatbelt thing that tightens up when you're in a crash. Occasionally, these tighteners or tensioners are called catch fire. And mm. people don't enjoy being trapped into their seat by a seatbelt when the seatbelt itself catches on fire. <laughs> I mean, not yeah, I would imagine not. No, I'd yeah, imagine not. Things they like. So if you've got an F-150 Super Crew, that's the only model that affected between 2015 and 2018, keep an eye on your mailbox. You might be getting a note about this recall here over the next couple of weeks. So what, they're just going to recall all the trucks? Well, and so that's that's the part I don't know. Right now they're investigating this. I assume they're going to try to track down you know, which batch of these tensioners was bad, but they do know it's within that three-year time frame. There will be a recall of 
some portion of those F-150 Super Crews. Well, good thing I don't drive an F-150 Super Crew. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I've well, got I- another piece for you guys. So, Mike Delaney, are you guys cheese lovers? Absolutely. Yes. Sign me up. Well, what's your favorite type of cheese? Mm, cheddar. Cheddar. Okay. Mike? It depends on the context. You know, if I'm doing crackers, <laughs> I like a good brie. If I'm making oh, a quesadilla, yeah, you're I like, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, Jack. Uh, what's the uh, Colby pepper, Jack? Pepper, Jack. Oh, pepper Jack? Pepper Jack, you bet. I like uh, Colby Jack if I'm making a, you know, roast beef standard. So it all, it all kind of depends. Okay. You're too much. You're too an much. admirer of all cheese, I guess. Everything except so far, I've never tried Limburger cheese, the stinky cheese. Mm. Oh, that doesn't sound good. No, I feel like that would ruin my cheese love if I did that. But some dairy farmers or the dairy farmers of Wisconsin have set a new Guinness World Record for the world's largest cheese board. So weighing in at 4,437 pounds and 63 ounces, ounces, this Wisconsin cheese board broke a previous world record that was set back in 2015 by the Netherlands by more than a thousand pounds but this cheese board features 145 different varieties types and styles of Wisconsin's cheese and then more than 60 people worked on this to accomplish this record-breaking feat and then the finishing cheese board measured 35 feet long and seven feet wide so literally it's just a smorgasbord of cheese <laughs> so then did they invite a whole bunch of people to eat it or is it on display somewhere what's the once they set the record then what happens so the event it was an event that took place in Madison Wisconsin and it served more than 45,000 people and yeah, the first guests like that came through, like received like a curated to go cheese plate and which fe- featured some of the cheeses that were on the the big cheese board. But essentially it was just, yeah, come eat some cheese, help us set a world record. And yeah, um, they in this article, it talked about how uh, there was a custom made the, the, the board that held all of the cheese. Um, it was a custom made board that was digitally fabricated to represent a barn using CNC technology, which it kind of is like a combined process between um, wood cutting and 3D printing. So I don't know how that worked out, but essentially that that's part of what made the whole cheese board so heavy. But then they're also in the, the very centerpiece of the cheese board, there was a 2,000 pound cheddar wheel, which oh. accounted for half of the weight. A one-ton cheddar wheel. Man, that would cover a lot of Triscuits. <laughs> that <Yeah>. it would. <laughs> wow. Well, Delaney, what do you got for us? Yeah, I've got just two other quick pieces of news here, uh, one of which is dealing with Brazilians' herbicides and whatnot that they're going to be allowed to use next year. A Brazilian judge has suspended the use of products containing glyphosate uh, for an unknown time, well, I think maybe 30 days, the judge has ruled that no new products can be imported into the country, and if there already are products within the country, they can't be used for the next 30 days until the government reevaluates their toxicology. So, of course, Monsanto's Roundup Ready is going to be the biggest one that's hit by this glyphosate ruling. The other quick piece of news I had for today is the U.S. is officially seeking um 
a trade or has filed a trade dispute on the $350 million that they claimed that Indonesia was um, basically making them lose out on in 2017. So in 2017, the U.S. won a lawsuit or won a, won a sanction, I guess you could call it, on Indonesia because of a trade dispute that the U.S. claimed that uh, Indonesia made the U.S. lose $350 million to the United States and New Zealand. Both won those last year, but the U.S. has said Indonesia hasn't been compiling with or complying, excuse me, with that ruling. And Washington is seeking to add a couple additional sanctions to compensate for the damage that was done from that last year. And what's the what's the crop or commodity that all of this was, it was centered on? Yeah, it, a bunch of different commodities, um, oh. foods, plants and animal products, apples, grapes, potatoes, onions, flowers, dried fruit, chicken, cattle, beef. It sounds like kind of the whole gamut. Yeah, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. Um, well, I've got I've got a story here about grains in France. But before we talk about grains overseas in Europe, Delaney, what do you think? Should we talk about grains here in this country, particularly the U.S. Grains Council? Oh, let's do it, Mike. So our good friend Bruce Gorder, our reporter in the field, has a conversation today with Dwayne Astrup, who is a southwestern Iowa farmer, just elected to the U.S. Grains Council board. And Bruce had a great conversation with him talking about the position and what worldwide trade looks like and how the Grains Council is trying to work through the back door, so to speak, to keep market access open. Agriculture would not be as strong an industry as it is in the U.S. without the help of grassroots leaders from across the country. One such leader is Dwayne Astrope. He's a southwest Iowa farmer who was just elected to the board of the U.S. Grains Council. I asked Dwayne about the position. We just uh, got back from our summer meeting in uh, Denver, and uh, I was elected to be a member at large on the Grains Council board. What have you been, how have you been involved with Grains Council in the past? Well, I've I've been involved with Grains Council for about the last eight years, and I've uh, the A team I've been on used to be called the Biotechnology A team, and they switched the name of that to Innovation and Sustainability a couple years ago, and that's the only A team I've ever been on, and I've been the 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 leader, the chair, whatever of that committee for the last two years. Uh, working on uh, sustainability issues, uh, trying to come up with a uh, an explanation of sustainability for uh, our overseas producers or buyers are starting to uh, ask us a little bit, like, uh, you know, how sustainable, how do we prove it's sustainable. So we've been working on that really hard on that down on the A-team. I know that uh, trade missions back and forth, uh, you going over there, those folks coming over to the United States, a big part of what you do. Tell us about that. Really, yeah, it, uh, it's a great, uh, a, a great deal we do. You know, being able to meet uh, face-to-face with our international customers, you form a friendship and a really good connection, and that's been a really a highlight in my career uh, as a farmer leader. Uh, you know, I, I, I care about the markets, creating new markets, opening doors that are, you know, too to open and maintaining those doors that are open. Dwayne, from what I know about trading partners, it's really a relationship-building process, isn't it? Right, right. I mean, yeah, the, the overseas buyers, they they really appreciate when a farmer comes over to their place. They, they're they're so interested in our te- on the way we produce our corn they're always wanting updates. I mean, the face-to-face to buyer to to grower is uh, 
is is something that a guy really can't explain. I mean, it, it it moves more corn than anything does that 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 relationship a guy builds directly with a farmer. Are they very surprised when they come over to this country and see the uh, the huge amount of land that uh, the farmers are working with over here compared to let's say the far east, uh, very small uh, plots over there, and the huge equipment? Are, are they pretty surprised the first time they come over? Oh yeah, uh, especially the first time people that come here. You know, they're just—it's kind of a shock and awe syndrome to them. You know, they—they they, they come to to our farms uh, here in Iowa. You know, we host several missions uh, throughout every year, and when they come here, and, and they're just kind of a, can't believe all the corn <laughs> that is grown here in Iowa, and how big the fields are, how big the machinery is. They just love to get in and ride in a combine. Uh, some of them will try and drive them, drive a combine. <laughs> That's kind of fun too to watch them do that. <laughs> I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. Sounds like you're going to be uh, thrown to the wolves right away. Uh, uh, you've got a, a mission to China coming up. Tell us about that trip. Right, right. We got a uh, mission to China. It's called a competitive study mission, and we're going to be going over there. There's four other states uh, that are going, and we're going to spend ten days over there. Just looking at my. Uh, schedule the other day uh it's going to be 10 days over there uh, we fly into beijing we spend a couple of days there then we we bounce all over china and we end up in hong kong and uh and then fly home uh, but we're gone 10 days over there and it's, uh, we meet with a lot of higher up officials while we're over there and like in their department of ag you know they're commerce and, and different divisions kind of like our usda and things like that but uh but yeah it's going to be a real interesting meeting uh, mission and uh looking forward to it not looking forward to the long flights uh i see i've been to china i went to china last year with a governor on that all iowa trade mission i went with her last year and uh, it was just to beijing and but when I see we flying home from uh, Hong Kong to Chicago, that's 15 and a half hours of air travel just to get me back to Chicago. I'm not looking forward to sitting on an airplane that long. But <laughs> yeah, I've taken taken a couple of those flights myself just to uh, Tokyo, not to China. But uh, yeah, it's right. a lo- long time to be uh, be up in the air. Dwayne, this is a very interesting time to be involved in the export-import market with with what's going on around the world and with the trade war talk. Um, what kind of challenges does that present to you as being on the Grain Council? Tariffs don't work uh, for anybody. But, uh, you know, with these tariffs that have been put in place, we're picking up a lot of business elsewhere uh, that we haven't uh, been able to go before. And we foresee that uh, getting larger that way. Uh, say, say like the products out of uh, Brazil, you know, they're buying them now. Well, in turn, we'll turn around and, and open up the markets that Brazil used to sell to, and we'll turn around and, and pick up those markets. So and with the ethanol industry uh, booming overseas, uh, the DGGs, uh, I mean, we're really – our exports haven't dropped tremendously yet. You know, the potential is there. and uh, But hopefully we get everything figured out and uh, on the trade war and we get it taken care of, get it put in our back pocket, and uh, get back to somewhat normalcy of trade. Dwayne, does the grain, U.S. Grains Council, do they get involved uh, politically in Washington and the lobbying efforts, or is it strictly a uh, workout in the field uh, with the trade-type missions as far as exports and imports go? 
the Queen's Council doesn't do any lobbying or anything like that. Uh, you know, that's all. We just do mainly the, the connecting the buyers to sellers and uh, working that aspect of it because, you know, I don't think they're allowed to, it's kind of like our promotion board, uh, not allowed to lobby and, and stuff like that. We use FMD and FSA funds with matching dollars and uh, to help promote trade. Uh, FMD and all them, uh, that really helps us uh, promote uh, the trade. That's Dwayne Astrop. He is the newly elected board member of the U.S. Grains Council. For Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Well, thanks again to our good friend Bruce Gorder. It's nice to get updates from out there in the field. Well, as we're talking global grain trade, one of the things that has moved the wheat markets lately has been this ongoing drought in Europe. And France's farm ministry said today that they are cutting their estimate of this year's soft wheat harvest quite a bit. And they are also forecasting a big drop in corn production. And this matters because France is Europe's largest grain producer. So this is something that uh, certainly is going to provide some tailwinds into the grain markets, even if we're not necessarily seeing it on the corn side. Uh, we're definitely seeing it in wheat and, you know, could be a, a fairly long lasting issue as Ted talked about yesterday. And it could provide a little more stability to U.S. wheat prices. I mean, we've got uh, quality issues kind of nation, not na- well, nationwide, but also internationally. Yeah, global, global issues for sure. Well, speaking of global issues, Hannah, you've got some literal global news, things traveling around the world, don't you? I do. So a shipment with U.S. soybeans set sail for China last week. The bulk carrier Betis departed from the export terminal in Kalama, Washington, for Shanghai on July 29th, which was carrying the first cargo of American soybeans destined for China in three weeks. So... The the Betis is the fourth shipment depart, departing from the U.S. shores, um, and only out of the other three shipments, only one was accepted by China. So that's not very much, but I guess it still shows that China is still or importing just a little bit of U.S. soybeans. You bet. And the thing I thought was interesting about that report, Hannah, you and I were on the podcast back in early July when these tariffs were going into effect. And there was that ship, the Peak Pegasus, that was carrying a load of soybeans. It was racing across the Pacific Ocean to try to get to port and beat the the tariffs starting. And they failed. Remember that? That's right. But I believe it's still waiting, isn't it? Yes. That's yeah. what was so surprising to me. It's still sitting off the coast, fully loaded with soybeans. And I, I don't know a whole lot about large-scale marine shipments, but I got to figure you've got a crew on board that ship. You're probably burning some fuel. You've got the interest expense on a whole ship full of soybeans. How is it cheaper to just sit off the coast than to pay the 25% tariff? I don't understand the economics behind it. That just blew me away. I guess I'll be interested to see how long they will wait there. Yeah, yeah, same here. They're 30 days in or 32 uh, days in. What do the we'll crew see. members do? They just hang out on the ship? Probably. Play cards and watch movies and clean things. Hmm. I think we should talk. We should try and see if we could interview one of them. That'd be fascinating. It would be. Yeah. All I don't right, know if well, we can get a hold of them, but. You know, I don't, I don't know that we can get a hold of those guys. Tips. 
Yeah, any listeners have any tips or any insight into, like, what's going on? That'd be pretty great. I'd be interested Yeah, or if you or your family are a merchant mariner, you just want to talk to us about what life is like on the seas transporting commodities. We'd love to hear that as well. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Well, let's see. We're going to talk technology as it relates to Ag News Daily. But before we do that, do either of you have more news updates for us? I don't. Do you, Hannah? I do not. So, Mike, if you don't have any more news stories for us, why don't you get us into the market? Let's do it, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. You can hear their chief strategist, Ted Seifert, talking on yesterday's edition of the podcast, our hashtag Market Monday. If you want his thoughts and the rest of the team's thoughts, you can give them a shout at 319-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Looking at the markets today, mixed trade today in the grains. In the corn market, the September contract down a quarter cent at 370 and three quarters. December, down three quarters, closed the day at 384 and a half. In soybeans, the August contract up 12 cents on the day, closed at 88. Eight dollars eighty nine and a quarter cents. The November contract up twelve and a quarter to close at nine oh five and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the September contract down six and a quarter cents at five sixty eight and a quarter. The December down seven and a quarter, finished the day at five ninety even. Looking over on the livestock side, boy, we've got weakness all down through the complex here in the meats. In live cattle, the August contract down thirty two and a half cents one ten oh seven fifty. The October down sixty two and a half to close at one ten ninety two fifty. In feeder cattle, the August contract down $2 even, closed at $149.85. The September down $3.12.5 to wrap the day at $148.72.50. And in lean hogs, the August contract down $0.80 at $55.80, with the October down $0.25 to close at $49.97 and a half. And a quick look over at the dairy market. Our friends in Class 3 milk see the August contract up a penny at 1483 with the September up 8 cents to close at 1556. So stay tuned to hear what the future of Ag News Daily looks like. But before we have that conversation, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Well, joining me now is agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, thank goodness we have you because Mike and I are no agronomists. And we've heard from a lot of producers and you've heard from a lot of producers about a problem going on right now called frog eye leaf spot disease. Fill us in, Phil. What is that disease and what does it do to soybeans? Sure. So it's a, it's a fungal disease. It's uh, something that we may not hear about quite as often. But, you know, given the conditions we've had, these nice uh, humid rainy conditions we seem to keep getting uh, fortunately i should say but uh, tends to favor this kind of disease uh, showing up in the, in the soybean canopy and the problem with it is it shows up in the top part of the canopy or the upper canopy on the new leaves which is the ones you want to protect you know usually and uh, that's where it starts to show up as a circular lesion it's it's a round little circle and it has a really dark purple uh, halo around the outside so pretty pretty characteristic of that particular disease but it it can affect the leaves, stems, and even spread into the seeds as well. So it's something that you want to keep your eye on because it can cause a fair share of damage, and only 30% infection on a leaf can, can cause yield loss. So I think you know what my next question is going to be. Is there anything you can do to prevent or treat frog eye when you get it in your field? Yeah, so the best thing to do is, number one, know what it is. You know, that's what I always try to try to encourage people, know what you're diagnosing, but then you know, it's, it's one that's spread by residue, so, you know, uh, no-till situations typically find it uh, worse in those cases or continuous soybean fields. 
if there are many of those out there, that's uh, something to maybe shy away from for a year or two, not not trying that practice. Um, but just, uh, you know, protecting it all the way up to the really the green bean stage. So R3 is a good time to treat if you're going to use a, a strobilurin-type fungicide on that disease. Um, but just keeping it protected until those those seeds are to that, that full seed stage. All right, and any one of the agronomists there at Latham High Tech Seeds, I'm sure will be willing to help folks out if you have questions about your field, and you can reach them at 1-800-GO-LATHAM. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing a hashtag Tech Tuesday segment on the new Global Egg Network. Today, we will be hearing from our two co-hosts, the minds behind the idea, Mike and Delaney, and get a feel for their thought process behind creating the Global Egg Network. So to begin, Mike and Delaney, today you're both in the hot seat. How's it feel? Feels a little scary, a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> I like it. I think it's fun. Oh, this is probably nothing new to you guys, but I feel like it's kind of fun that I get to interview you. So, Well, yeah, we've interviewed you as the intern. Now you get to kind of flip the tables on us. That's right. That's right. Well... To kick things off, to help our listeners get a better idea of what we are doing and what a podcast network is, why don't we start off with you both just explaining, one, what a podcast network is, and then how this idea came about. You bet. Delaney, do you want to kick it off, give the first response? Yeah. So I'll explain what the network is, because I think maybe, Mike, it was maybe your idea, actually, this time. The the original podcast, I'm going to take credit for that. But I think the network was definitely your idea. So basically what we're doing and what we want to do for folks in the industry is bring together all the great ag podcasts that we've discovered. We found a lot of great little ones, little niche type of ones. We've got some about, you know, working cows. We've got some about agronomy. We've got some, you know, more funny or upbeat type of podcasts. And we've got a couple in the wings that we're working on with some folks to start their own podcasts. But we basically wanted to make a place where all of these great podcasts could be housed in one location so that for folks wanting to find out more information about X, Y, or Z, they can come to the Ag or the Global Ag Network and find information right there at their fingertips. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it. It works both ways. The The network approach allows listeners to go to one place for, you know, kind of trusted uh, content. And I feel like that's something that's going to take some time. We're going to build up a stable of interesting and engaging podcasters, people who have something to say or or even know people who have something to say and want to bring it on board. But it also works for our listeners that uh, run companies that are involved in the ag world. One of the huge challenges that uh, the marketing world faces is how do you get in touch with these different podcasts? What's the value of advertising look like? And we think that by having a network approach, perhaps we can add some value on both sides and, you know, make a little money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe we should make it clear. Mike and I are not starting a million podcasts. We're going out and working with folks who already have pre-established podcasts or, or people want to who start want one. to start their own. Exactly. So Mike and I will not be on, you know, 10, 15, 20 different podcasts. The Ag News Daily Podcast is still going to be up and running. Mike and I just want to help other people who enjoy podcasting make it more of a career as opposed to a hobby. And yes you know, give everybody great content in one easy location. That makes sense. It's just a shared space of podcasts for people to go to. Absolutely. And right now, if you want to create a podcast, you know, there's free sites online that get you started, but they're 
they're impersonal. I mean, they're not designed to help your particular podcast succeed. They're just there to help you get it up there and running. We want to take that extra step. You're in our industry. You know, we're brothers in arms as it comes to agriculture. Let's make you grow. Let's get you out there. Let's make this thing exciting. And so that's that's kind of where we come in. Okay. So for our listeners, then, is this network something where our listeners are going to have to subscribe to? Or is this like a customizable like platform? Or how does the whole process work exactly? That's a great question, Hannah. We're still um, in conversation with our web. We like to call them web nerds. That's maybe not the best term for them. Um, but so our web team. But we do say it with love. Yeah, we say it with love. <laughs> our web team of web nerds are working very diligently to put together an awesome new website for us. Um, and they're doing it in phases. But eventually, once the last phase rolls out, users will be able to, as I understand it, go online um, create a user profile and subscribe to the specific podcasts that they have interests in. We're still trying to figure out how we can set that up on a phone because I know a lot of folks listen to the podcast on phones. But we're definitely going to be able to customize and tailor options so that you get to listen to the specific podcasts you want to listen to and making that user experience, you know, what you want it to be so you're not kind of getting bundled down or boggled down by all the content that maybe doesn't apply to you. Yeah, and all of the podcasts will always continue to be available in the iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, you know, you name it, all those other sources that perhaps you're already using to get the podcasts, they'll be up there as well. So, folks, if they want to just say, you know, I like this one and this one, boom, you subscribe, there you go. If you want to get involved and have conversations with the hosts and, you know, kind of take it to the next level, as some podcast listeners do, I know I do and several of the podcasts I listen to, that's where the website can really come into play and it can allow that interaction between the two groups, which hopefully will make the podcast better and it will keep folks interested, make it a little more, uh, uh, what's the word, engaging. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, engaging. And Delaney, you mentioned this a little bit in the previous answer, but can you just maybe give our listeners a little bit of an update as for the timeline of the progress of the network? Like, when is this network going to be up and running to the public or what steps are we currently working on or what do we have left to do? That's a great question, Hannah. So, so far we've got our web nerds working on redesigning and revamping a new global ag network website. We're thinking that phase one is going to be ready to launch here at the end of August, early September. And with that phase, it will officially roll out the new platform. Everybody will be able to see the new Global Ag Network. We've already got a couple podcasts signed up to be part of the network. Um, I think the three biggest ones that folks might recognize because we've had a couple of the guys on the podcast before is the Topsoil Podcast hosted by Mitchell Hora and Trent Stout. We've got the Dryline Farmer Podcast with Brent Carlson and his co-host. And then we've also got the Working Cows Podcast, which is hosted by Clay Connery. So we've got three really great, strong podcasts like I said, we've got two or three, I think, going to be really great podcasts by some voices that you hear often on the Ag News Daily podcast. I'm not going to give it away too much, but we're in conversations with some other folks who we want to start new podcasts on the network as well. 
Yeah. And so if you've got a voice that you want to get out there to the agricultural community, drop us a line. This is the time where we're trying to gather as much information, get all the folks who might be interested in starting a podcast. We're putting together a list to make it easy. What do you need? What are the stumbling blocks? What have we found that works for us? What have we found that doesn't work for us? Because we found mm-hmm. a lot of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can give this all to people who have something compelling to say, there's going to be a tremendous amount of value created. So I would say, listeners, right now, hop on your web browser, go and bookmark globalagnetwork.com, because hopefully you are going to be using that domain a lot as this thing heats up. And before I let you guys go, so I want to know, what are you most excited for about launching this new network? Or, you know, what's filling your bucket right now? Hmm. Filling my bucket. Mike, I'm going to let you take that one first. Oh, boy. What is filling my bucket? Wait, okay. I I got it. I'll go first. I I think what I'm most excited about is just the fact that we're trying to embrace folks of all ages and interests in agriculture. And we've strayed away from traditional media, I think on purpose. I mean, TV and radio, those are still really popular mediums. I mean, Mike and I both work for other TV and radio outlets. We've both worked for them in the past. We both see a lot of value in that. But we think podcasts are just such a great way for folks to be engaged, to listen, to tune in, to lean into the industry. And I'm just excited that we're able to bring such great content to one specific location and you know, kind of help pioneer the way for folks who want to get into the podcasting network, because I don't think podcasts are a phase. I think they're honestly, I think they're here for a while. I think they're going to stick around. I think Delaney is exactly right. And I would say another aspect of this that is filling my bucket, Hannah, is the fact that even if podcasts are a phase, and I'm with Delaney, I don't think they are. I think the idea of listening to content when you want it is here to stay. But the idea of a network, the idea of building a digital community today in 2018, 2019, allows us to stay on the cutting edge and adapt to whatever new technologies come. The idea that some media has the ability to just kind of sit back and just kind of relax, rest on its laurels. It's It's got a profit uh, margin. It's making its money. You know, that's not where we want to be. We want to be cutting edge, figuring out the next wave that's happening in agriculture. And importantly, nobody likes to talk about it. But how do we make money doing it? That's key. And that's where kind of the legacy media has a model figured out. Podcasting is still developing that model. And I think we can be a pretty pretty key part in it. Very nice. Cutting edge right up there in front. I like Absolutely. That. Well, was there anything that I missed that you want our listeners to know about before we let you guys go? Um, so I want to do a quick little tease. We've promoted it a little bit on our social media, but Mike and I are both showing in the Governor's Charity Steer Show at the Iowa State Fair this year. This has nothing to do with the Global Ag Network. I just wanted to do a quick plug if anybody's going to be around at the fair, the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines this Saturday, you need to make sure and be at this event because it's going to be pretty great, I think. Mike, what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be showing for the Iowa Bankers Association. Delaney, you are showing for who? I am showing for District 20, my home area cattle, cattlemen's, and you're showing for the bankers. Yes. And so, folks, stay tuned. We're going to see 
who's got the better steer. And I'm confident that, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're going to find out. That's <laughs> no big deal. Um, I'm going for people's choice and or showmanship, Mike. Ooh. All right. All right. Now, you know, Delaney, I have won grand champion and yes. I have won people's choice. I so know, showmanship Mike. is the only one that I haven't captured yet. Well, there's and obviously a reason. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know what I'm doing, I think, is the problem. I'm used to cattle that are kind of crazy and usually blind in one eye and, you know, limping terribly. I'm not used to well-trained, perfectly groomed livestock. Right. Yeah. yeah, I never showed cattle. This is all new to me. I know. It's fun. I got to know what it I, I got to look like I know what I'm doing, though. Cause I showed livestock, so I was like, knowing my luck, my steer is going to, like, get spooked and run away, and then I'm not going to look like I know what I'm doing, but it'll be fun. That's half the fun. That's what it's all about. It's all about raising money for the Ronald McDonald houses. Folks, check out Ronald McDonald in your state. It's a great organization. Helps folks, uh, you know, with families in, is in hospitals for, for long periods of time, allows families to stay close. So it's yeah. a really, really mm-hmm. great, great event all the way around. And listeners, if you can't make it to the Iowa State Fair this year, don't worry, just keep up on Twitter and on Facebook for Ag News Daily. I will be posting content and hopefully be getting some videos and some commentary from Mike and Delaney on the whole day. So keep posted there. But before we let our listeners go, Mike and Delaney, where can our listeners go to if they want to learn more information about Ag News Daily or catch up on past podcasts? Absolutely. They should be following us on Facebook and Twitter. Just type in Ag News Daily. That's where you'll get the Governor's Charity Steer Show updates on Saturday, and all of our podcasts are posted there for easy accessibility. Or you can visit the website at agnewsdaily.com, and there you can download every podcast we have ever put out. We're up to almost 360 episodes now, which is hard to believe, but that's what folks can do. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.